Hi, everybody, and welcome to Speak Your Truth, the only podcast dissecting the intersection of mental health and sports with former and current athletes. I'm your host, Samari Walker, former UConn, Kentucky, and professional women's basketball player. The inspiration for this podcast comes from my personal experience with mental illness during and after my playing career. Thank you for joining us today. Speak Your Truth listeners, we have a new guest with us. His name is Liam Kent. He is a former Navy member, and he is going to talk to us today about being dismissed from the Navy due to being diagnosed with depression. Liam, how are you doing today? I'm doing really great. How are you doing? Good. I'm doing good. Thank you. I cannot complain. I'm glad you decided to be a guest on the show and super excited to hear your story. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm just really excited to share. Uh, I've never really done anything like this before. So. Cool. I'm excited then. So first question always is, um, tell us about yourself, Liam, so we know your name. How old are you? Where are you from? Tell us about your family, um, your school, and then also other interests you have. Okay. Um, well, I'm 20 years old. Um my, uh, I originally grew up in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, which nice. is, um, um, it's right on the coast, uh, if, if you don't know, like on the East Coast. And um, I, uh, my dad, um, he was originally from uh, St. Augustine, Florida. Um, oh, cool. Well, technically he was born on a, uh, on a military base in uh, Japan, but um, he um, he lived in Florida, like, all of his life. Cool. And uh, my mom, yeah, and, and uh, uh, my mom originally, she's from uh, uh, Evanston uh, here in Chicago. And uh, then she ended up um, moving around a bit and then settling down uh, with my dad in uh, Charleston. And uh, uh, they were together for a while, probably until I was around seven, I would say, like seven or nine, um, and uh, then they uh, divorced, mm-hmm. um, still on good terms, I would say, and, um, and they've kind of um, just gone their separate way, if he's still in Charleston, she's back up here in Evanston, and uh, yeah, um, I uh, uh, pretty much lived in Charleston all my life, um, didn't really do a ton of traveling apart from going up here occasionally to visit some like uncles and aunts and cousins and stuff. Um, but, uh, uh, really the first time that I ever got outside of, you know, my hometown, it was, uh, it was whenever I, uh, was visiting, um, UIC up here and it was probably the, the biggest change I've ever made and uh, just kind of making the decision to to move up here and go to school and um, it's pretty much like shaped yeah. um, everything since then. For sure. Yes, yeah, a huge uh, change from Charleston to here in terms of just everything. <laughs> um, huge change. Yeah. So I can only uh-huh. imagine. I'm from Ohio, which isn't too, too far, but very very small town so i know you know what it's like to come here and it's like a it's a huge culture shock mm-hmm. man but it's cool yeah. um 
And it's cool how your parents, um, I think it's always interesting to hear how our parents meet. Because um, if it wasn't for them or our grandparents meeting and their parents meeting, we wouldn't exist. So it's always really cool to hear how people meet. That's awesome. Um, what what yeah, else are um, you interested? They, oh, I'm sorry, Liam, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um, well, yeah, they, um, it was actually uh, they, um, throughout both of their lives through different for different reasons. Um, um, I believe with my dad, it was just kind of based on um, where, like, who he ended up hanging out with, and um, he, he was kind of like a like a surfer kid, pretty much, um, and he's kind of stayed like that um, all of his life. And uh, originally, um, he kind of um, around the age of, I want to say, around after he finished high school, maybe like a year or two after, um, uh, not really for, um, not really, uh, for any, any like major reasons or anything, just because it was kind of difficult for, um, his parents to support him. They kind of, you know, like, like putting it, putting it gently, they kind of, you know, coaxed him out of the house by saying, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta move out. Um, and so, um, I think in his uh, young adult life, um, he ended up getting into uh, um, kind of like like hard drugs and like alcohol. And um, with my mom, uh, she had to deal with the uh, the like death of um, both of her parents around. I, I would say around my age, maybe a little bit older, um, mm. when she was just going to college. So um, wow. she ended up. Yeah, um, she ended up pretty much doing the same thing, and they actually uh, met in Charleston um, in a AA meeting. Wow! So, um, that, that that was that was kind of how they met. <laughs> That's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. Very interesting. Wow, I like that. Um, okay, so talk to us, Liam, about your time in the Navy. How long were you um, in the Navy, and what led up to your decision to enlist? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, so um, I was going to UIC for, um, I would say, around after the first year of me being there. I um, It started to kind of be apparent that um, uh, because my dad was uh, helping me go to school, and he um, He's definitely, he, we're, I would say we definitely live like pretty comfortably growing up because because of what he's done in his life and um, he's kind of worked to to own his own company and kind of worked his way up through the through the different levels and um, but still like uh, going to school to like um, such a nice school like UIC and being mm-hmm. out of state it was. It was uh, pretty. It was still pretty expensive, even after all the scholarships and stuff. And exactly. around, uh, yeah, um, around that time, I could kind of tell that um, just based on how it was going, that you know, you, um, you would honestly much rather go like broke than take me out of school. And I, I, I really didn't want that to happen. So mm-hmm. I kind of um, around the my second year, um, I kind of decided to. You know, just like, just kind of see what 
my options were, and, and I'd already kind of thought about the military a little bit, and uh, so um, I thought about the different branches and um, just kind of decided that the Navy would probably be best out of all of them. So mm-hmm. I, I went with that one, um, talked with a recruiter, and um, after maybe like a day or so of you know, like going onto their website and putting in my information and uh, met with them, kind of talked about like what my situation was. And of course, like they're gonna try and like get you in no matter what, because they, they have a quota, like I, I, I completely understand. And um, honestly, it is kind of, I, I can understand that they have a quota and everything, but most of the time they do generally tend to, even if they don't think that it's the right fit for you or that you're going in for the right reasons, they'll still put you through the process because um, no matter if you get through boot camp or if you end up getting taken out or if you end up just like go, go like getting like taken out for some reason or another, mm-hmm. they still get paid. So um, mm-hmm. ultimately... They, they just kind of they just kind of put you in um, no matter what um, and uh, I don't think that was a situation for me I think that the person that I was talking to I think he was you know g- generally he was a pretty nice guy and he like told me everything that I needed to know and but uh, oftentimes it's like once you get past the point where you've already like signed everything they kind of just like back away and don't really, you know, like answer as many questions or don't really care about your questions that much. What? Um, really? It was just my, it, 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 it just kind of, it seems like it, it seems like they're more, they, they're more inclined to like, like give you a lot of attention, like when you're still in the deciding phase mm-hmm. and, you know, like check up on you and stuff. But after that, it's kind of like, you know, hey, you've already done it, so yeah. like, it's, like you're you're good either way. <laughs> so, exactly. Um, yeah, um, and and that was just my like perspective. So I um, I can't say that's the same for like most other recruiters, but I did kind of feel based on how I was like talking with other uh, people who had like gone through the recruiting process, um, they kind of felt like the same way, and. Uh, but um, besides all that, I like went in, uh, went camp, uh, getting getting there, um, and I'm, I'm sure that pretty much anybody who's gone through it can attest. But um, like as soon as you get there, it's just like, and they're they're just like yelling at you, and you're mm-hmm. like doing all this stuff, and it's like like one again, just like what am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> like, why am I here? <laughs> For sure. I I definitely can um, relate to that. And after I asked you, when I said what really, after that I wasn't as surprised because honestly they do that in college basketball. So I played D1 college basketball and up until I signed, um, excuse me, up until I got there, they were, I mean, you know, texting me, like you said, calling, making sure I was okay. Yeah. staying in touch with my family, writing us letters, all kinds of things. And I get there and it's like, okay, um, you're a 17-year-old 
adult, so go live your life. And it was like I didn't, I had resources at UConn, but probably either I just didn't know about all of the ones I had or there really weren't that many in place for us because it was like, aside from our coaches, who was I supposed to go talk to if I was having an issue or just whatever? Um, and there weren't many people, same at Kentucky. Uh, there were actually a lot, I would say a lot more resources at Kentucky, yet um, I still, I personally didn't utilize certain ones, but when it came to um, like personal development as a person and then a player, it was non-existent um and they expect you like you said when you are a certain age or once you sign all these papers you sign your life away um they don't really care now it's on to the next recruit who's next we already got them so who's next we gotta get the next big in 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 sports we gotta get the next big recruit so you're just like another number essentially um and they they claim they care about you and you're special and you're this but my life today proves that that's not true so um, and I'm sure you feel the same way in a sense. So I can definitely understand that. Um, how did your family feel about you being enlisted or enlisting in the Navy? Well, um, I would definitely say that uh, my dad was a lot more supportive of it. Not not because um, he like cares less for me or anything. Or um, he just uh, he kind of he kind of saw it as you know me taking my life into my own hands and kind of like maturing and trying to do things for myself, which I can really appreciate, which is, um, even though, um, as he later kind of expressed after I got out that, um, he really didn't want me to go and he would have been uh, very nervous, um, if I had like got deployed and just wouldn't really be able to like talk to anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, he, he, he did say that, um, yeah, he, he did say that, like, uh, he was kind of glad that I ended up um, getting out the way that I did. But um, even still still through that, he, like, was totally behind me. Um, my uh, my mom, um, she was a little bit more hesitant um, just because, um, I guess she, like, besides her, her dad, um, nobody, like, no brothers or anybody that she really knew, I think had gone into the military so um she didn't really have a ton of experience with it mm. and uh and uh, my aunt who is um i would say is kind of more like a like a second mom to me she uh she's probably the um i thought she was going to be um the most nervous and the most kind of you know like just pushing it away but um, she she genuinely did hear me out, and uh, I told her my reasoning for it, and she um, she understood it. So um, I do, and I do appreciate all of them like supporting me through it. They all like were there when I graduated, and they were all like really happy for me. So um, they were there with me through everything. So um, yeah, I, I really do appreciate them. For sure. It's always awesome to have family support. I know that I couldn't have done a lot of things without my family support. Um, so it's always yeah. great, you know, to hear other people have that same experience as well with their families. Uh, t- talk about being dismissed, Liam. How did they even diagnose you? Like what led to that happening? Um, and then what happened afterwards and how did they treat you afterwards? So um, it's kind of, it, it kind of feels like a, um, like a weird experience because I've never really, um, I think apart from maybe like a couple 
times. I never really um, thought about it too much, but um, basically, um, after getting out of boot camp, and I think going through. Um, oh wait, uh, can you hang on one second? Yeah. It's okay. Um, okay, so um, basically, um, after going through boot camp, um, I was uh, I was really um, kind of distracted, and um, my mind was kind of on the goal for like that whole. I think it was about eight or nine weeks that we were in there, um, and I think after once I was kind of able to like settle down. And kind of um, like let everything just you know like think about stuff. Um, it started to be that um, I would get these I don't know kind of um, like go through these kind of like um, depressive like you know couple days. Like at one point it was like an entire weekend, and um, I didn't really know what was going on. Like. I, I, of course, had had, like, um, you know, just kind of, like, sad thoughts in the past, but, like, I never had anything that, like, sticks with me and kind of just makes me feel, like, as bad as that did mm-hmm. um, up until then. So I, I really didn't know, like, what to think of it. And uh, it was, like, really bothering me. It was kind of, like, it was having me, like, you know, just for, like, day, like days on end, I was kind of having to struggle with, like, um, I remember specifically um, the one thing that I, that my mind kept going back to was, uh, like, I was kind of, uh, in my barracks, I was considering um, just, like, going in, like, uh, going to, like, the bathtub, like, turning on the hot water and just, like, slitting both my ribs and wow. just kind of bleeding out. Um that was probably like one of the things that bothered me the most because like like I had a knife like I I could have done that um, I come like kind of close to it like once or twice so um, like that kind of scared me a little bit so um, when it came that uh, I just didn't really want that to happen anymore I uh, um, I knew that there was uh, like systems in place for me to like get help at least like that's what i kind of assumed there was um um i knew that there was a um it's called a fleet and family and it's basically like a family help center kind of thing they have counselors and for different things ranging from like you know like family situations or like personal things or anything like that so um i went there and I uh, talked with um, this lady who was there, and uh, I told her my situation. Um, I just told her what was going on, and uh, oh, and um, one one thing that I probably shouldn't leave out is uh, the day before I went to go see her, um, I had actually um, cut my uh, not my wrist, but just my uh, arm, uh, mm. like two kind of like. Like, not very damaging, but still, like, you know. For sure. 
Go ahead. Whenever you're ready, Will. actual psychiatrist 
or it, it was a um, it was a uh, resident like student hmm. um, psychiatrist, but still, you know, like somebody who like really knew what they were talking about. So, exactly. Um, yeah, so I I got seen by her and then uh, told her what was going on, like told her what I was feeling, and that it was fine right now, but that I like experienced things in the past, and so like told her all that and uh, basically um, she kind of repeated the same kind of um, like thing about the psychiatric ward saying like you know like uh, like you'll only be there for like maybe tonight that'll be it um, and then it'll be out and you'll be fine um, but I need your permission for you to go there so I was like okay and sure it's fine. Um, and then, so after that, I was like kind of sitting in a, like a patient room for a little while. Um, it was like pretty late into the night at this point, um, maybe like 11 or 12. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and, um, I got, uh, picked up by, uh, an ambulance, um, which I didn't really think was necessary, but I guess it was like to make sure that I was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had like two guys escorting me and uh, um, they took me through uh, to the psychiatric ward. Um, I was just kind of, you know, like like joking around with them and uh, they were saying like, you know, like <laughs> we don't we don't normally take people here that are, you know, like so coherent and mm-hmm. like so e- easy to talk to. Um, and I thought that was like kind of funny. Um, but mm-hmm. so uh, I, I went there and um, I was go- I went through like I want to say about like two or three um, like locked doors, um, like two of which were like controlled by um, somebody from the inside that they had to like, like buzz you in or something. Mm. Um, and uh, when I got in there, and um, immediately it was just kind of like it was kind of like a little bit shocking because. Um, it like the people here were ranging from like it it seems like many many different types of um like people with different uh disorders like different things going on were like all here and um there wasn't a ton of them but uh it it still was a little bit like odd because like I, I i felt like i was you know like doing pretty okay and like at least compared to some of the other people that were there. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so, like, I, I went in, like, they took, like, all my clothes. I got, like, a, the kind of, like, patient clothes, that kind of thing. And um, the uh, immediately what I kind of, like, noticed first off was um, the nurses were, in, like, not the nicest in the world, um, <laughs> at, at, le- at least to to me, and yeah. I ended up, yeah, um, and it kind of, um, I kind of ended up finding out, um, like, later on that uh, it was actually because um, the nurses there are kind of told that um, they... I'm not sure if they're told or if they're kind of, they, they just kind of act like this on their own, but 
um, they uh, kind of treat um, recruits because recruits are sometimes sent there from boot camp. They uh, they treat them uh, differently, yeah. and they're actually yeah they're because I guess they want to make it like not a really com like comfortable environment for them. Um, they treat them differently from the actual like veterans and stuff that are in there. And, um, so that makes sense. Um, Unfortunately, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it and uh, a lot of the time, um, I would have to tell them like, "Hey, I'm not I'm not a recruit. I've already graduated," and they still didn't really seem to like like click that in their head. Mm-hmm. Until I like kind of brought up the rules, and they actually do have different rules, not just like different ways that they treat them. Like recruits get um, much less phone calls; um, they get less time to call. Um, uh, they they can still be visited by people, but generally, uh, when it comes to recruits and stuff, if their relatives or anything are not from Chicago, then that's most likely not going to happen because mm. it's it's just way too far. And so um, it does it does really suck for them. And uh, I was pretty fortunate to have my family pretty close by where they could visit. But um, either way, um, I uh, I got there. And I uh, like went to bed, woke up the next morning, and. Uh, Immediately, one of the first things I wanted to know was like, okay, so um, I was told I was getting out today. Like, when am I going to be getting out? And uh, um, by that point, I kind of talked with um, these two recruits, um, uh, Tim and Malia. And uh, I honestly have to say, like, they're probably like the main reason that I stayed sane in that place. Yeah. Yeah. They um, they really. they really were just really nice, and um, they they were in the same situation as me. They kind of felt for me. So, mm. um, but like I was, uh, um, you know, I, di- I didn't want to, you know, be like overly annoying or anything. But I just like went up to the nurse and I was like, hey, so um, I was told I was going to be getting out today. Like, do you know anything about that? And uh, uh, most of them didn't know like anything about that um so i ended up having to talk to like the head nurse and then she was saying oh well you're not scheduled to meet with the like psychiatrist until tomorrow so if anything it'll be tomorrow so i was like okay that's kind of weird um i don't really like that but whatever (laughs) so um and uh, it kind of became like apparent pretty quickly that like the the way that it it's like the way that they want you to act is like to like not ask about that stuff and to just like sit there and, and do nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, which is like you know any. I feel like any normal person would, like, want to get out of there and, like, you know, as soon as they felt comfortable with it. And uh, that was the same situation for me. So, Mm -hmm. and it kind of, 
eventually, like, uh, by the second day, they, uh, like, they told me, well, um, we're going to keep you for, like, you know, a few more days just for observation. And so it was like, I, okay, um, like, uh, at that point I was, like, pretty nervous because mm-hmm. it just seemed like they, they just kept, like, pushing the day, like, further and further back. And, uh, um, like, eventually it became pretty apparent that, um, like, they kind of want you to, like, go along with all the things that they're doing and not, like, go against it. And they just kind of want you to, you know, like, try and be there to recover, I guess. But oftentimes it's like just being there I've I've probably never felt like more I don't know like isolated and like hopeless and it kind of was just a really really horrible place to be in um I've uh, I've really never experienced anything like it. it it's just something where like you feel like the longer you're there, like the more like crazy you're getting, even if you're completely sane. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, it's 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 kind of scary. And um, so I um, I kind of learned quickly that like you don't want to ask too much. But you definitely want to like make your presence known mm-hmm. and be like, okay, like like um, for sure, like they're going to be meeting with me today like, kind of rehearse what you're going to say and, like, probably what questions they're going to ask you, like, answer all the questions, like, correctly, like, yeah, I'm doing fine, I'm doing okay, all that stuff. And um, then by around Friday, um, after I, I think I got there, like, Monday night, I, uh, I got there on Friday. I was really happy because... Um, by that point, I was kind of told that um, I was going to be leaving, and uh, um, I was sad to, you know, say goodbye to the people that I actually liked in there. Um, but I kind of knew when they were going to be getting out somewhat. So, um, and I told them I was going to stay in contact with them. So um, that was all good. And uh, <laughs> um, probably my worst experience there was like. I uh, I was getting dressed, like I was getting ready. I had all my stuff taken out, and uh, I was about ready to leave when uh, a psychiatrist came up to me and told me that they had actually made like a last-minute change to keep me over the weekend. Oh my gosh! Uh, <laughs> yeah, and um, by that point, I was like, just I just felt horrible, like. Like I broke down crying. Mm-hmm. Like, um, yeah, it was just it was just really bad, um, and uh, um, really like Tim and Malia, they were um, they were really there for me at that point to to keep me okay and like like try and make me a little bit happier, which was it was really needed. But mm-hmm. um, um, even though I was told like, okay, Monday's the day. Um, I still kind of had this, like, sinking fear that, like, 
that still was going to be pushed back or that was never going to come, something like that. But uh, as it turns out, like Monday, um, I got told that uh, everything was cleared and that uh, my paperwork was all done. So I uh, got packed, got my stuff, and um, I left there. And, and uh, that was... I want to say that was like the longest, the longest week in my life. And, um, yeah, I believe it. <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, and honestly, I um, I may have only been there for a week, but uh, both Tim and Malia, um, especially Malia, she was there much longer than Tim. But Tim was already there for I want to say like about a month. Wow. And uh, Malia was actually there for closer to about like half a year. Oh um, my by gosh. the end of. By the time that she came out, um, which was last summer, and, um, yeah, it was closer to half a year, which was insane. Wow. Um, yeah. My goodness. So how how do you feel afterwards? And did you get to talk to her after she was released to see if if, if staying in there that long helped her? Yeah. Um, so I was um, I'm actually I was actually able to get into contact with uh, Tim and Malia and. Um, they're both doing like really well. Like uh, uh, both have jobs. Um, uh, Tim is actually living uh, here in Chicago, and Malia um, moved back home to North Carolina. So, okay. um, but they're both doing a lot better now. Um, uh, and um, I think we all kind of collectively agreed that. Uh, I guess apart from Malia, who got um, a. Uh, um, she got disability from her time uh, in boot camp, and mm. that was only kind of given to her after she had stayed so long in the uh, mental ward. Um, but even then, we can pretty much all agree that uh, that place did <laughs> um, did not uh, really help us at all, and mm. if anything, it kind of made it worse. So, Understandable. Um, yeah, um, and it's kind of, it's kind of, I guess, used as like a holding place mm. for um, people that either say they have some kind of like mental illness or that actually do have some mental illness in boot camp. Mm-hmm. And I guess the kind of thought process is that like, if somebody doesn't have one, then they'll be trying to like get out and just take whatever the psychiatrist gives them, whether that's like being like taken out of the military or whether that's like going back into boot camp. Either way, they just want to get out. So, mm-hmm. man, um, that's tough. Yeah. That's yeah. tough. I'm glad you made it through, and I'm glad your friends made it through as well. And I'm glad that mm-hmm. um, they were also there to support you. Like you said, like going through something like that alone can really drive you. Uh, can drive you nuts, man. So I'm really glad that yeah. you had some people there, for sure. Um, so how scary was that, um, being, first of all, like an 18-, 19-year-old kid, not even knowing that prior to this you were depressed and now you're in a psych ward for upwards of a week? It was it was really, really scary. Like, e- even even when I was, like, at my worst, um, I, still, I still felt like all I really needed was just somebody that I could open up to mm-hmm. and somebody that could maybe offer some um, some like co- 
coping mechanisms for me, um, and at like the very most, maybe some like medication um, if it came down to that. But um, that cause, and that's what I thought I was going to get over at Fleet and Family. But mm-hmm. um, like it was just, I, it, it was it was a really, really like terrifying experience, not knowing if I'm like going to get out of here like this week, next week, like in two months, mm-hmm. like a year. I bet. Um, and I, I def I I don't think I would have made it. So kudos to you, because um, that's that's really scary. Seriously, because like it it's I can't imagine going from I don't know this existed you know within me to now I'm being pretty much held hostage for a week with no explanation on why I have to keep staying longer and longer and longer. And yeah. like you said, like if now they're telling me Monday, but today is Monday, and I'm supposed to get out tomorrow on Tuesday. Like, what if, uh, you know, next Monday, now it's, okay, no, tomorrow. Then it's no tomorrow. Then it's no next week. So I can only mm. imagine, man. That Man, that's really scary. Uh, yeah. What steps did you take post-finding out um, you were diagnosed with depression and after being released from the psych ward? Um, well, first off, I kind of... Um, stayed in like much closer contact with um, with my family and kind of told every like uh, all my because um, I did have to move out of my barracks to uh, a new one which was um, this new barracks was for uh, people that were um, either um, getting separated which is their term for like getting released from like the military um, or people that had graduated their um, like um, respective schools and um, that were like waiting transfer for to either go to another country or go to another base mm. so um, like uh, in there they kind of um, especially the um, the person who was in charge of the uh, people in separations um, I got I can't remember his name now but he, he was a really nice guy um, and he was uh, really understanding. Um, he treated everybody the same, um, and as long as you gave him respect, like he would reciprocate it. Um, really nice, um, just kind of down to earth guy. That's awesome. Um, and yeah, he was uh, he was a big help and just letting me know like like where my process because it did take a while for me to actually from um, being told that I'm getting separated to actually being separated. It was around. I want to say, I want to say like two or three months, I would oh. say. Yeah, um, oh, which wasn't bad. Um, it, it was basically just like waiting around in the barracks and um, like cleaning, like just doing like medial things. And okay. you get a good bit of free time, so it's, it's not that bad. You get to go out on the weekends or go out whenever, as long as you're there for all your tasks and stuff. So it was fine. Okay. And, uh, yeah. That makes um, it sound better. So you said yeah, two, three months, yeah. I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, um, so um, did that. Um, and uh, after, um, I think it was about a month or so before I got separated, um, I got into contact with uh, my um, my mom's and my aunt's uh, psychiatrist. Um, and uh, he's a, he was a really great guy. 
um, talked with him for, um, I want to say like maybe an hour or two. Um, the first time I met him, just told him everything that was going on and uh, really supportive, um, just kind of knew exactly what my situation was and how to deal with it. And uh, um, overall, like after getting out and seeing him a couple times again, um, I've been feeling a lot better. And uh, actually after meeting um, my uh, uh, girlfriend, um, she, uh, um, she's really done uh, an incredibly positive um, thing in my life. And uh, I, I can't really say that I would be in the same like, uh, like mental state that I am right now if it wasn't for her. So, mm, that's beautiful. Um, that's beautiful. I can totally relate to that as well. So I'm happy you said that and we're able to admit that. Um, when I was going through a lot of issues myself uh, over the last year and a half, um, my now wife has, man, I don't know how she did it because I couldn't even put up with myself back then. But she has been a tremendous help and not that I married her because she was there for me through that I married her because I knew that I could trust her because she was there for me and it's hard to come by people like that and especially for me personally I know I don't I don't trust anybody so for me to trust somebody period and to trust somebody to be there for me and to support me um and to feel like just knowing that that you have that person and like you said just wanted somebody that you can open up to like it was the most amazing mm-hmm. feeling ever the first time we ever met and like had a conversation in person I felt like I was in a therapy session because she was just like listening and I had never had anybody just sit there and listen I was like oh my god I didn't even know I was feeling this way thank you um and from there I was in love so now we're here, so maybe one day uh, I'll hear about you getting married to this um, lovely, supportive young woman. So I'm very, very, very happy that you have her, Liam. Very happy for that. Uh, Thank you. Thank yeah. You. So how how's the rest of your support system, family and friends, um, after being diagnosed? Um, well, I would definitely say that they've all been like very, very supportive. Um, even the um, people that I didn't really think would like kind of understand the whole situation um i actually have two uh, childhood friends um uh, from my hometown at austin and tucker and um, they both uh before i had even gone to boot camp austin graduated from a uh, um, marine boot camp and um, i think just recently um my friend tucker he graduated from um like uh, air force i think it was like special forces um so um, telling them uh, it was, I didn't think that they would uh, react as positively because um, they might have thought that I was like trying to get out or something, but they mm-hmm. completely understood um, as well as like all my other friends. They totally understood my situation and uh, my family and everything. They were um, honestly really happy to <laughs> see that I gotten out and I didn't have to get deployed on a ship yeah. but, um, um, but even still they were um, they were all really supportive and um, they've been helping me like get back on my feet and um, like go back to school and get back to work and all that stuff so I, I really do have to thank them for sure that's awesome I'm so happy to hear that it's great to have friends and family who support you um, it's it's taken my family 
more so my mom and my dad a while to um to understand I don't I still don't really think they do um I think it has a lot to do with upbringing um a lot to do with cultural differences um in the black community we don't talk about mental health um and when I did bring it up in high school and stuff like that it was just like like no you're not like you're fine go on if you're a teenager you're just sad um and so I always thought I was just sad and like you said there were things that I was thinking that I knew I shouldn't have been thinking and finally became like confident and comfortable enough to be able to say that out loud to somebody to be able to receive help and it's been tremendous since then so I'm very very again happy and thankful that you have a great support system and there's nothing like it when you are going through I don't care what it is when you're going through anything there's nothing like having a great support system that's awesome Liam, is there anything else you want to share with us? That's all I have for you today, bud. Um, uh, I think I probably, uh, I was thinking about something that uh, I just wanted to kind of reiterate. Um, with When it comes to, um, like, uh, at least from my experience, like people in the military um, and mental health, generally um, it's kind of seen as, um, either by people, like, it's it's either kind of seen as, like, you trying to, like, get out of it, um, and that you just kind of need to, like, suck it up and keep going, like, everybody has problems, mm-hmm. or it's kind of seen as, like, from somebody that might have something, um, they kind of see it as, like, I can't tell anybody about this, because if I do, then I'm at risk for, like, getting taken out. So it's generally something that's kind of um, not really talked about that often and uh, um, something that I I feel like a good amount of people um, just generally like uh, like keep quiet about if they do have something. And uh, I, I, I just wish that there were more like kind of systems in place to keep people if people want to stay in to keep them in and if they're in like fit and able to, mm-hmm. um, and to just kind of give them some more support, like some, like just, just people that they can talk to. And like, if it's, and if it really comes down to it, like some, uh, some form of like medication, but ultimately I feel like that's, um, that like cost is a lot less than, just dropping somebody that you like spent all this like money and time on to to train to where they are and um, I I feel like um, as time goes on and you um, get more and more into um, what your field is and you gain more and more years then either you've like if you if you've been struggling with something you probably already figured out ways to suppress it or to like cope with it or if you just started feeling something then uh, they would be a lot more sympathetic and they would probably have like better things for you but um, generally I feel like um, like all those um, things all those like systems and stuff um, should be fairly like equally distributed and pe- people that are just getting out of boot camp 
um, should really be seen as like just wanting to get out if they express that they've been feeling a certain way um, because it seems from my experience that a lot of time that's that's what they kind of go to and uh, even when I ended up seeing a uh, a uh, like military psychiatrist at the hospital and I just like told her all this stuff and I was like like breaking down crying she was like well like, do you want to get out of the military? Is that, is that what it is? What? Because like, if not, you just got to suck it up. And this this was like a doctor. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it, was, it was just really crazy. I don't want to say in their defense because I'm not defending them. So yeah. let me say this. I can understand because I'm sure that there are a lot of people who can't take it, who really can't take it because that's not an easy yeah, thing to exactly. do. And they use that as an excuse, and it's unfortunate that those who really are um, struggling with mental health, you know, issues or mental illness, that now you have to be questioned um, because of somebody else, basically. So that's very unfortunate. I totally agree with you. There should be systems in place within the military um, and and in the school system, universities with sports teams. I don't care what level. Um, mm-hmm. even in the workplace, I feel like it should be mandatory for people to see, um, to see somebody, therapist, psychologist, yeah. psychiatrist, whoever you need at least once a month. Um, and some people needed way more than that. At one point I was going once a week. Um, and mm-hmm. now it's, they're way more far and few between, but sometimes I need them once a week. Sometimes I feel like I need them, yeah. you know, multiple times a week. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And, um, I definitely, I wish more people would, um, I'll put it like this. If more people do come forward about having, you know, mental health issues or even if you're just you know you have anxiety or, or you're bipolar, whatever it is, say that. And then maybe eventually, um, you know, the people who are in positions of power within, you know, whatever industry that is that controls all of this um, in terms of mental health, they'll take it a little more serious. Because even the people who are in that industry don't take it serious enough. They aren't even well-trained and educated enough to handle certain issues. So it's still something that's very, very new um, and something very, very tricky, I think, um, because there's all sorts of levels of it. And um, there's still things that we're discovering. So I think that uh, pretty soon, the next, I would say, 10 to 20 years, we'll see all sorts of breakthroughs um, within the mental health realm. At least I hope so. Um, and that's part of the reason why I started my podcast, because I've also dealt with suicidality, wanting to kill myself, trying to kill myself and meeting other people who have wanted to. And it's like, okay, well, I'm not the only person that feels like this. This is like, this is a real thing. So what, what is it? And, uh, being an athlete my whole life, we're not seen as human all the time. We're a dollar sign. Um, and it's very unfortunate that I even felt like that about myself for so long. And am just now I'm 27. So at about 26, I started to really like, you know, understand I'm not just an athlete. Like I'm a person, I have feelings, like I'm suffering right now and I don't know why. Um, so that's what led me to start in the podcast because there's so many people out here with a story. And initially it was just for athletes, but when I moved here to Chicago, um, my wife and I, at the time, we were essentially homeless and could only afford, um, you know, to stay in a hostel week by week. And we met so many people in there with with incredible stories. 
and um, one woman who lost her teenage son to gun violence when he was just 17 years old, um, she said it's when people don't acknowledge something in you, so in depression or anything like that, it's because they are also suffering with it but don't want to acknowledge it or deal with it yet. And it's really scary. It's scary to, to say and to even accept like, hey, I'm depressed. Like there's something going on. It's not something wrong. It's just something going on to where my quality of life may not be um, the same as someone else's in terms of how I'm, how I'm feeling. And there's nothing that's okay. Now let's fix it. So there's always a, in my opinion, there's always a solution um, and it doesn't have to be suicide. So now that we know that, now what? So I think it's a, a conversation that we all need to have. I think it's a conversation that starts in school um, on day one, preschool, kindergarten. And um, if I were ever to become the president, that is something that I would do because we need that. Um, everybody needs a, you call it what you want. Everybody needs a therapist um, or just somebody to talk to. So one day I think we'll all get there. But when we think about it, like our parents come from that time where you do just suck it up and get over it. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so our kids will be a little different and hopefully, you know, they'll be more nurturing to the, not coddling, but nurturing to their children and understanding. So then that way we'll all be able to deal with things a little better. So I totally yeah. agree with you. Uh, Liam, I, I thank you for coming on the show and sharing your incredible story. You have been through a lot at 20 years old. Um, so when you are 27, when you're my age, we'll have a conversation and see what has happened since then. But uh, no, seriously, we're, yeah, we're going to sure. definitely stay in touch. And um, I hope that everything works out for you and you continue to recover. Um, tell your grandmother I said hello. And I hope I get to uh, meet meet your parents one day soon, too. Um, but yeah, man, take care. Take care of yourself. Um, and yeah, thank you again. All right. Well, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. I, I really do appreciate it. Of course, Liam. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Speak Your Truth the only podcast dissecting the intersection of mental health and sports with former and current athletes. Take a look at the show notes for this episode to remind yourself of what was discussed as well as some extremely important and helpful resources. Email and follow us to engage with your host, Samari Walker. Thank you. And remember, this is not a replacement for therapy or counseling. Speak Your Truth is meant to be educational only.